Grand Touring Motorsports started as a social group of car enthusiasts, but we've expanded into all sorts of motorsports disciplines, and we want to share our stories with you. Years of racing, wrenching, and motorsports experience brings together a top-notch collection of knowledge and information through our podcast, Break Fix. Hey everybody, Crew Chief Eric here, and with me today is special guest Mike Crutchfield. You've heard some of our other member profiles, but today is extra special because this isn't just a member profile, this is story time with Crutch. And if you're watching the video version of this, for the Patreon viewers out there, you'll notice I'm not wearing my typical uniform, I'm wearing my, my special story time with Crutch t-shirt. Mike is a big figure in GTM. He's been with us since the very early days and he has a lot of memories and a lot of things to share. We actually thought about renaming this episode, Did You Know I Lived in Germany? And we'll go into that more and it's a great way for us to jump off. So Mike, thank you for for coming on today and talking with everybody and letting them get to know you a little bit more. All right, thanks for having me. GTM is built on the premise of spreading motorsports enthusiasm. So we're going to unpack that a little bit and talk about your experiences. Although I want to hear this from your guys' perspective. I want you to describe what Storytime with Crutch is. Well, it always starts with that pregnant pause followed by this deep sigh and then you know you're about to get hit in the face by like Wikipedia for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> but no, it's story time with Crutch is awesome because you know it's coming. Like, you know, you see the wave in the distance and then it's just this, this abundance of information. And me, I've said this before on the show, I'm, I'm a student of history. I love passing knowledge and I love absorbing more than I can probably handle. And you've always been a really great resource for that and a mentor and you're very knowledgeable. You know a lot about a lot of things. And I don't know if people realize that. And you can always go to Mike for an answer, but just be prepared. I will say it's not the same preparation you need when talking to Dan or Matthew or some of the other characters in our group, but you know you're going to get a straight answer answer, an honest answer, and a very well thought out discourse as, as we go through the, you know, that session. Uh, I, I will add that the idea of Storytime with Crutch actually was brought into the club because one of my coworkers came to a track event, one of our members, and he explained that Storytime with Crutch was a thing at work. And me having to explain Storytime with Crutch to the club actually became a Storytime with Crutch because it was, this again? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you get into cars? You want to walk us through that? I mean, I've been into cars for a very long time. As a kid, I was watching NASCAR, which no one in my family was a car person, period. It interested me. I was I was playing racing video games from a young age, uh, started watching NASCAR, and to an extent, IndyCar back, car, Indy separations about when I stopped watching IndyCar racing for a while. It's like when hockey went on. Uh, What's hockey? Strike. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> When I first started driving, I still didn't get that too involved with it until I actually had the first car that was mine. And I decided, eh, let me try doing some maintenance myself. And you know, even my stepdad thought I was crazy. He's like, why don't you just pay someone to do that? I'm like, eh, I kind of want to do this. Well, let's pull that thread a little bit there. What was your first car? So the first car that I daily drove was a 93 Dodge Ram conversion van with a raised roof. First car that was truly mine was an A6 Cutlass Supreme Coupe, banana cream yellow with a partial tan vinyl top. Oh, wow. You were driving a banana for real. Holy cow. Was that a V8 or was that a smaller engine? It was the 302 Oldsmobile motor with three-speed automatic transmission. The rear end was geared at like 214. Oh my God. And it would do 75 miles an hour in second gear. <laughs> uh. <laughs> 
That's a great autocross car right there. <laughs> you never have to shift. <laughs> so you got your interest in NASCAR. So would you say that's your favorite discipline or do you have another one? Today, I'd still say NASCAR, I find the most interesting to, to watch. I mean, yes, I wish they'd do more road courses and they're starting to do that more. And they're even talking about adding the boots, car at Watkins Glen. Formula One, they qualify, they finish. There's, there's not enough going on during the race there. I can enjoy IndyCar to a degree. And then uh, obviously IMSA because of the events we've been to. The mixed class racing makes things a bit more interesting sometimes too. Just to talk about NASCAR for one more minute, because you're the first one on our member profiles to actually talk about NASCAR. Other guys, you know, they're into Formula One, they're into different things. So it's kind of good to talk about this a little bit. How do you feel about the changes in the last couple of years in the format of the racing? Now they're doing these like, you know, triple stints and they're kind of resetting the clock every time they, they they go out there i'm not a huge fan of stage racing in one aspect in that it um you know it just adds this this weird artificial break in the middle of things but at the same time it does actually increase the amount of strategy that the teams have to do because there are there are times where say a team's near the back of the pack and it's only a couple laps left a couple laps left in the last stage or the next to last stage they might pit early if they can stay on the lead lap so that when the stage ends and everyone else pits now they're back at the front of the field so so it opens up some avenues of strategy that weren't available before beyond just random chance of cautions. And Mountain Man Dan has said to me before, it really goes back to the earlier days of NASCAR because it's a similar format to dirt track racing where they do those staged races. The heats, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that's the appeal, keep people more interested. I will say, you know, I've been to a few NASCAR races. I was fortunate to go to RIR there in Richmond a couple of times. And, you know, that's a shorter track, but I could understand, you know, a longer race, like going to Indy or something like that, lose attention pretty quickly. So having that short race, like, oh, I got to see what the, the second round is like in the third, you know, that, that reset isn't necessarily a bad thing. So I, I see it as a positive, but I can understand as a diehard fan like yourself, where you're used to it a certain way and you like it that way and could make the experience different. I mean, they've, they've made changes through the years and probably the one biggest one that most NASCAR fans don't realize is in Sears Point, Infineon, Sonoma, whatever you want to call it today. Back when I was watching as a kid, the NASCAR bypass didn't exist. So they actually drove the carousel. So I have memories of Dale Earnhardt and the three and Sterling Martin and the four going through the carousel, fighting door by door, yeah, door to door, banging off each other. Sears Point is actually less interesting in a NASCAR race than it is in other disciplines right now because they cut out so much of the skills section of the course. But much like Watkins Glen where they might add the boot, they're adding back the carousel to NASCAR. Mm-hmm. So that'll be fun to see whenever things get back to normal enough to, to race there. I, I will say the shorter, ver the NASCAR version of uh, Sears Point, which I still refer to it as that, is the more fun version for virtual racing, at least in spec Miatas. But we can, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. So let me ask you this. You got into predominantly road racing. Did you do anything else? I enjoyed karting a bit when I was a kid, just like when you would go on vacation to Ocean City and go to the giant Speed World kart track down uh, by Jolly Roger in Ocean that. City, Maryland. Yeah, they had, and like, they, had, they had like legit cars. They weren't just go-karts. Yeah, when they had, they actually, one of the tracks, they had a big banked corner. Mm -hmm. I mean, we'd do that occasionally, but since no one else in my family was really into cars, uh, there, were, there wasn't much opportunity to do stuff like that. So other than just, you know, having fun driving down dirt roads when I had my pickup truck and, you know, having fun that way or just having fun on switchbacks, there wasn't a whole lot that I really got into really until Germany. Let, let's go there. You went to Germany. You were there for how long? Uh, I was there just short of three years. 
Nice. How did being in Germany kind of propel you into motorsports then? It comes down to the fact that driving on racetracks in Germany is much more accessible than the U.S. I mean, from even just straight up financial standpoint. Now, there isn't the structure that the U.S. has where there's actually instructors. It's just you throw them some money and they're like, don't hit anything. Actually, first I need to back up a little bit because before I even knew that that was an option, just the act of being able to drive at the Autobahn flat out was an amazing, thrilling experience, uh, which is something that may be going away in the near future. That used to be one of your favorite qu quotes. I must drive flat out. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's nothing more freeing than setting the cruise control at 155 miles an hour with the convertible top down. So, <laughs> Is there a lot of wind buffeting at that speed? I mean, what's it like? I've never been that fast in a convertible. Uh, we had the windows up, the windscreen behind us up, and then the top down. And it was, yeah, we even did it when it was like, 30 some degrees Fahrenheit outside. So, Ooh. but the heat blasting, it's amazing. You just get a nice, nice, like cool tingle across the top of your head, but your body's still toasty warm. And if I recall, you've told me before that was a 135 convertible, you guys? Yes. Yes. It was the first year of the one series available for the U.S. market. Uh, we ordered it through the car dealership over there, but a U.S. spec model. And it was the first Gen 135. And I'm actually, we have a picture of it up on the wall when we went to Stelvio Pass and it was this wonderful blue metallic with a tan leather interior and the top they called Moonlight. It was a black top with just a slight speckle to it. It was a beautiful car. To this day, kind of wish I hadn't got rid of it. I know Chrissy wishes we didn't get rid of it. So that's the one that got away, huh? That is kind of the one that got away. Yeah, when we moved back to the States, it just became uh, not economical to keep it. <laughs> So the picture I've seen, and I don't want to go too far, you know, down this path just yet, because I think we're, we're building up. But I mean, the pictures I've seen at your house where you're slightly airborne in the 135 at the legendary Nürburgring. All four wheels have left the ground in that car on the Nürburgring, going shortly before a sharp right-hand corner down at the bottom of Garden Plots, if I remember correctly. It's been was, a while. Was that before or after the transit van passed you? <laughs> Didn't run across many transit vans. Did pass some school buses, or not school buses, but big tour buses, though. It's nice. a very surreal experience. Did you ever meet Sabine Schmidt? No. Oh, dang. Uh, although around the time we were there, I think she still occasionally drove for the ring taxi. Nice, nice. Uh, did, did see those cars out there quite a bit. So let me ask you this, just kind of off the cuff. If you could meet one motorsports legend, dead or alive, who would that person be? Even being a big senior fan growing up, Dale Earnhardt Sr. It's not like someone who I wish I would have met, but it's not like, oh my God, I actually have to meet this person. I don't know if there really is that one motorsports person that I absolutely would, would love to meet. It's, I just would like to, to pick little bits of the brains of a whole bunch of different people. Have you ever met a professional? Not that I can recall, actually. So let's go back to Germany because it's a big part of your life. It's a big influencer in your motorsports career. So you were there for three years. How many tracks did you go to and how many track days do you think you did? There were just two tracks we went to, Hockenheim and Nürburgring. Every time we went to Hockenheim Ring, this is going to blow everyone's mind. It was three euro to get into the, the paddock area. And then it was 12 euro for 15 minutes on track with a group of cars. What was the car per mile there? Were, were there any restrictions? They just let you out. They let them out probably in groups of, I want to say probably groups of 30 or 40 on Hockenheim. And Hockenheim's oh. a, a decent sized track. And there was no group of bunch of fast cars together. It was just whatever showed up. A lot of times I was out there in a Mark V Jetta TDI getting passed by a Ferrari. I think when I tallied it up, I probably did about two, two and a half hours total on Hockenheim Ring from the various trips we did. I think we estimated about 90 laps on the Nürburgring from all our Holy trips. Cow. And you'd like to remind me all the time that the Nürburgring isn't necessarily a track. It's actually a 
public access toll road. It's a one-way public toll road during tourist farting days, which is tourist driving. <laughs> if you have four wheels or two, you just, you go up, you buy a ticket and you drive up to what looks like a parking garage gate. And that's how it controls how many cars meter onto the track and you stick in your ticket, gate goes up and you go. Wow. And 15 minutes later, you've completed a lap. <laughs> one, one time I had a camera wedged under the uh, passenger headrest, a little, little camcorder. Is that available on YouTube? Can we get, can we get that secret footage there? Uh, that might be out there still. I want to say I did 12 minutes bridge to gantry. Well, that's not too bad. And that might've been on the winter tires. <laughs> so they lasted all of one lap. Yeah, I got, yeah, I got No, you. they did not last a lap. <laughs> I got to, I got about three quarters of the way through the lap, got onto a straightaway and put the throttle down and traction control started freaking out because the tires were so melted. They wouldn't grip. That was a, uh, that was fun. So what's funny is if we fast forward a little bit, we come back stateside when I met you, that was shortly after you guys PCS back from Germany and you didn't have a BMW, you had a two and a half liter rabbit. And so, you know, little did I know you were a BMW expert. <laughs> we actually got back to the States in late 08. So it was about four years where oh, I didn't okay. do anything stateside. I saw a couple things about what is now called pit race, formerly Beave Run. So I saw a stand set up by Beave Run at one of the car shows. I had seen some things about Summit Point here or there, some car shows or something. One year around my birthday, I finally said, fuck it, I'm going to the track. Uh, <laughs> I got to see what this is like stateside. And uh, yeah, that fall, I did three or four events, I think. Mm -hmm. And then it was the following summer when we met at that track days event on Maine. It was hotter than all get out. And that, was, that is one of the photos hanging on my wall upstairs. And there's even some old footage of Jess like recording us and she's like, oh, there goes Mike. And you hear the rabbit, <laughs> open exhaust. It's pretty cool. But yeah, that, that event was, what a mess for me. We talked about it in another episode. I had a massive brake failure and you came to my rescue and all that kind of stuff. But we were still in the early days of the club at that point. And, you know, we hit it off, you, me, Chrissy, Jess, everybody. And, and you know, you've been part of the family ever since. I can say, you know, as we were both I guess, ranking up, you know, as coaches here, you know, over the years, you and I have helped each other out a lot. And you especially have helped me out on tracks where I had no clue where the heck I was going. Cause there's more than one, you know, story I can think of where we hopped in a station wagon or, or something and went around track and you're showing me where we need to be and where we need to go. And, you know, a lap or two in and we're like, hey, I got this. We're cool. We, we can do this. So what was coaching like for you? Because that's, you're one of the first people to kind of come on and talk about that. First, I need to give a shout out to another, uh, uh, another member, maybe former member at this point, but uh, Pat Sullivan. Mm -hmm. I befriended him at, might've been a Friday at the track at Summit Point Shenandoah, which was actually the event they always held on Saturday. I actually talked to him about becoming a coach and finding out what the details of what, what, what it all entailed. Then was fortunate enough to be welcomed to the BSR Summit Point Instructor School that winter, which really opened my eyes to what coaching was going to be like because they do a lot of role playing and have you even do things like steer from the passenger seat in one of their crown vics and also go through all the skid pad instruction stuff so that was how i got my start i started instructing with with friday at the track had an absolute blast doing that even though it's a bit exhausting because you're hopping from car to car to car all day and from that just started segueing into other clubs uh rather quickly and it's been a very rewarding experience because you know when you, whenever you see that that light bulb moment in your student's head uh, and they're like, I get it now. But it's also nerve wracking at times. 
And and you were blogging a lot about your experience as a coach. And I remember reading your blog and I learned a lot. I, I will always say you were very good with the intermediates and the beginners, very by the book, you know, very cautious, safety first and all that kind of stuff. And I learned a lot and I, I pulled a lot of that myself. I personally like, you know, the the intermediate, the chaos of intermediate group. Are you still blogging about that kind of stuff? Or I know you contribute to GTM as an author and, and thank you for doing that. I haven't touched my personal blog in quite a while. Been busy with lots of other things and that's definitely not going to decrease anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been thinking about getting back into that, but I, I took all of last year off from the right seat. The one problem with instructing is you, you can get quickly lulled into, Hey, I can go to this new track. It won't cost me as much. And you know, still have a lot of fun. There were three years where each year I was on track at least 39 days the year. I know you still hold the record for like most track days of anybody in this group. <laughs> that just absolutely burned me out. That's a lot of why I've, I've been less enthusiastic about going to as many tracks uh, the past few years is just because I literally didn't get burned out. That's the one warning is just don't jump at every free track time uh, opportunity and because uh, it will eventually take a toll and you'll be like, you'll actually want to step away a bit from the sport. And that's why Part of also why I wanted to, I did my brief foray into uh, classroom instruction because it, it still allowed me to teach, but it kept me from getting as burned out uh, on track. And you were many times a group lead, especially for the beginners and, and the intermediate students and stuff like that. And so people always come to you for advice. And, you know, again, thank you for that. You've been a, you've been a mentor for a lot of us. So it's very much appreciated. So let me ask you, you know, you're giving some advice there. What other advice would you give somebody that's starting out in road racing or time trials? Because I know you've done some time trials as well. Brief uh, foray into time trials. If you're going to go down that route, pick some organization you want to go with, basically find out what the perfect car is that everyone is using to win because every other car will be at a complete disadvantage and you're screwed regardless. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that the truth. I won't name the organization, but I was particularly uh, handicapped with one, with one organization where I was competing against a Honda Civic that had a motor swap that could pull me on the front stretch easily. But you know, somehow he was a class below me. Yeah, he was in my class and I, I didn't understand that either. It, whatever. <laughs> But so let, let's go to DE then, because I know you have a long, you know, as a coach, you're very much involved in DE and with, you know, 39 plus events a year. I mean, you've seen it all. You've been to every club. You have your favorites. You have some that I, I know reading your blog, you'll never return to for various reasons. But what kind of advice would you give somebody that's looking to get into DE that might be a little bit timid or afraid to get into the sport? If you're, if you're looking for your first event, consider doing one day. And I say that because a lot of students don't realize how much of a physical and mental toll just sitting in a car and driving takes on you. Because I've had many novice students skip at least one session their first day because they're just mentally exhausted. And then the other guidance that every track event reminds you, stay hydrated, stay hydrated, stay hydrated, and, and make sure you're eating because you know they get wrapped up in the excitement they forget to eat, they forget to drink anything, and they're thinking a lot harder than they're used to when they're driving. And so they just get mentally exhausted and lose focus. And that's, and that's when mistakes happen. So think about a one-day event to start off with and try and find something that, you know, you might not know people at the event, but see if you can bring one or two other people along with you just so you, you have some level of comfort in, in your little bubble, but, but reach out to others that are at the event. 
And you bring up a really good point about the nutrition aspect of this. And, and you know, Andrew and Sam put together a two-part article about type of foods you should eat at the track, how you stay hydrated, you know, and, and what goes along with that. So if anybody's interested in learning more about that, you know, please visit our website and, and search for search for food and drink and it should come up. I agree with you. And, and on a personal note, you know, this goes back to my days when I was kart racing and I have a hard time eating when I'm at the track, especially when it's really hot. It's like the last thing I want to do. And it actually makes me nauseous if I'm in the car because then I'm kind of like, you know, I don't want to say I'm like burping it up, but it just, I don't know. I drink like the water is going out of style, but I don't know. There's just something about that, but you know, everybody's got to do their own thing and, and, and follow those nutrition guidelines and the stuff that Andrew and Sam put together is fantastic. Let me ask you this question. Are you in the camp of run what you brung or what should I buy with respect to going to the track for the first time? First time run what you brung because 90% of people will never get remotely close to what their current car is capable of on track their first time out. Consider maybe some upgraded brake pads, getting fresh brake fluid, stuff like that. But your first time out, you're going to be so overwhelmed, much more cautious than you think you need to be that you don't need to go out and buy something for your first time, even your, even your first few times. If you really are going deep into the sport, you know, maybe it's time to start considering buying something that is, I don't want to say, you know, you're willing to, to necessarily write off, although, you know, that's the best case scenario, but you know, you have something you don't, you don't worry about still running, but if you're really going to do this a lot, it's best to at least have something that's not your daily driver. So, so what if your daily driver is, you know, an SUV or a pickup, but you want to get into this sport, right? And if you could recommend a car to somebody, maybe it's a couple to pick from, what would you throw out there? I mean, if, if it's suitable for the driver, Miatas are cheap and plentiful, and there's lots of experience in the paddock. For some of us, Miata will never be the option. <laughs> Miata is always the answer. What are you talking about? I mean, it'd be a, it'd be a great left shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're in the you're in the tall category with Brad, and so it's like certain cars just don't work. I mean, I've sat right seat in in a ton of cars. All the Germans have their quirks. Camaros have horrible sight lines. Even some of the new Mustangs have horrible sight lines. Do not buy a Charger or Challenger. They are amazing straight line cars. Uh, unfortunately, there's usually a wall at the end of that street. <laughs> <laughs> you know, don't necessarily worry about getting the, the most horsepower out there. Worry about something that you know is relatively cheap for standard maintenance. You know, look up what the cars tend to run for things like brake pads and rotors, because those are going to be some of your biggest expenses. And if you pick something big and heavy and not very common, you're going to end up chewing up a lot of money right there. So yeah, as, a, as a connoisseur of, of cars in general, would you say fun wheel drive as Brad calls it or rear wheel drive? I have more fun driving rear wheel drive, but I've never had a rear wheel drive with enough power to truly be fun. Well, other than the one series, other than the one series. Yeah. I mean, you've scared me a few times. Well, I can't say scared, but you've definitely got, you got me excited a few times in your rear wheel drive cars. <laughs> There's something known as the crutch field stop. <laughs> yeah. So, but the reverse is true because I, um, I scared the pants off of another instructor driving front wheel drive. Isn't that the best feeling in the world? When they go, uh, this car's not supposed to do that. <laughs> well, the better part is when he, he said after one lap, take me in. So this was at Shenandoah 
mm-hmm. and it was and it was Nick Shively in my passenger seat, and he made it one lap in the passenger seat of the rabbit. He made it one less lap than Pat Sullivan did because he made it two laps in the Audi. And he's like, get me out of this thing. But then later that same day, I took his wife out in the passenger seat, and she made it the whole session. Sat there with her hands on her lap the entire time, didn't say anything. I'm like checking on her a couple times because she was so quiet. So we we come in and. <laughs> He says, you know, I, I give him crap. I'm like, well, I see who wears the pants in your relationship. He goes, there's no way you're driving as hard with her in the car as you were with me. And she pipes up. No, there were some times I was pretty sure I was going to die. But at least it was going to be quick. <laughs> <laughs> so with that being said, you've got similar horsepower cars, you know, between your Beetle and you have a Turbo S just for the people out there listening. And you've had some 325 uh, ISs and whatnot. I mean, outside of the fact that the BMW's rear wheel drive, overall experience which has been better for you so the beamer is actually down yeah about 10 horsepower on the the bug on a good day and the beamer is more comfortable in corners because it's a lower center of gravity the bug it's more satisfying to pass corvettes with I'll give you points there. That, that, is, that is a good summary of that. And, you know, we joke a lot about the bug, but you're not the only one running the bug in the club. And oftentimes you get confused with Tanya, who's our Southern States chief. Because we look so much alike. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, the cars happen to be the same color, but I'm glad you uh, made yourself very distinct by putting the Herbie logos on there. And I know that draws a lot of attention and the kids that come out to spectate and stuff, they love it. So that's, that's always good. And it, it's a staple within the group now. It's like, when's Herbie coming out? So thank you for that. Do you want to tell us about what you're building, if you're working on anything, any projects you have going on? Car-wise, we've basically shut that down because we have many other projects to take care of around the house, besides building another room in the basement, prepping another room for a a soon-to-be addition to the family. Congratulations, by the way, once again. Well, and then just, you know, screwing around with my 3D printers and having all sorts of other fun. Yeah, so let's talk about that a little bit. You know, tell tell the people out there what you're up to. A few years back, I got tired of paying uh, for track decals, basically. So I said, screw it, I'll buy the equipment. <laughs> so so I started in the foray of, of making vinyl decals, both for myself and for other people. And then a year ago, I got a 3D printer that I would, you know, just screw around with, have some fun. Then started decorating my wall, which if you see the video can be seen right above my head with outlines of all the tracks I've been to. Which then uh, turned into a very long list of back orders that I had to fill in a matter of a couple of days for every, <laughs> everyone coming out of the woodwork saying, I want to buy them. And you're a GTM sponsor now. So you have your own website. You want to share that with everybody? Uh, yeah. So the, the address is cdans.com, c-d-a-n-s.com. The domain name is a holdover from a long time ago from when I used to do web development work. I'm talking high school, but it's it's a nice short domain name, so I wasn't going to let that go. Just repurpose it as a Crutchfield decals and numbers. <laughs> Very good. And so thank you out. again for, for doing that for us. And so just so everybody knows, if you're looking for GTM-specific swag in the realm of 3D printed stuff or vinyls, Mike takes care of all of that for us, and he does an excellent job. And I know many of us order our numbers through you and, and things like that. And, and I know kind of the sky's the limit sometimes. We've asked you for some oddball stuff. But I uh, very much appreciate that support as well. So go to Mike if you, if you need that. So let's get to some of the tough questions. What's your top three favorite cars of all time? Uh, I, I mean, R8's got to be up there just because I remember seeing that thing 
right around when it was being released, we were still in Germany, and they actually had one on display in the train station in Wiesbaden. Wait, you mean you didn't see it in Iron Man like everybody else? <laughs> uh, no, I actually uh, saw it uh, sitting on display in the train station downtown Wiesbaden because it was just about the time it was starting to roll out to dealerships, and they just parked one in the middle of the the, the stands there. So that that still ranks up there. Just it's it's a beautiful car. Uh, but how do you three. feel about the HHR? I mean. I know they explode really well if you spray too much X body spray in them. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Oh God, I I hate HHR, PT Cruiser, and Prowler. I absolutely hate those cars and the SSR. They they, they captured the wrong nostalgia era. Everyone who went back to the the, the muscle car retro of the the Mustangs, Camaros, Charger, Challenger, et cetera. Those speak to me more. And it might be because those cars were used in a lot of action sequence in movies and stuff when I was a kid. Who knows? I I just prefer the the look of those. Those bubbly look like we're early 50s or 40s. They just did not work to me. So let me help you with the last two. Maybe maybe this will help answer the question. What car posters were on your wall as a kid? Uh, the only poster I remember that was car related on my wall was a poster of all of the Porsche lineup from that era. So and it wasn't just 911s, it was the 928s, the 944s, everything. You know, I I liked those, but they weren't they wouldn't make the my top, top three. 3. Now, I mean, I've always I've always been drawn to the the, the Diablo just because I think it's a wicked looking car that's just very strange. Um, All right. You're the second person to bring this car up. So I got to <laughs> ask you this question. Pop-up headlights or the covered over ones? I think the pop-up. Nice. The early Diablos because the later ones had the, the covered over lights. Yeah. Yeah. Pop-up. You, you, you're, you're, you're part of the pop-up mania of the nineties the cars, right? Eighties and nineties cars. And just because for the longest time my stepdad actually had one of these in the garage, uh, and I think it's a stunning car, I'd add the 78 Stingray 25th Anniversary Edition. That's a C3 Corvette, right? That is, yes, C3, two-tone silver, dark on the bottom, light silver on top, and it had a white interior. Nice. That's kind of almost like a great white shark look to it there. That's really it cool. was, yeah, it was, it was an amazing looking car that I never was able to touch the keys for ever, but... <laughs> What's the best sounding engine in your opinion? Ooh, I don't know. I think I have to go with those, uh, those big V10s and the Audis and the Lamborghinis. I just, I just love the sounds of those things. Nice. Now, I also want to add just a little bit of color here. You're a big Lego fanatic too. And I've been to your house and people that have, there's lots of models all over the place. You want to just touch on that for a moment? Uh, well, we have one arriving today. The new Lamborghini, uh, it's not even released yet. The actual car is not released yet, but Lego just released a model of it. But I'm drawing a blank on the name right now. The collection actually started again in Germany, as everything did. <laughs> when we went to uh, Legoland, Germany, that's where we acquired the rather large scale 787. And a couple other uh, random models. And then, uh, yeah, pretty much any car, larger scale car model that catches my mind ends up in our house. And even small scale, because I see all the Hot Wheels and Matchbox behind you on the wall. Well, there. yeah, and those are, <laughs> almost all of those Hot Wheels are from when I was a kid. You uh, gave me the display case, but then my sister found in her storage unit this giant plastic football storage container that had a bunch of my old toys in it. And so I went through that and then recently found another bag of my old Matchbox cars. So we're finishing filling out the, the display case here. As a child of the 80s, Transformers, Voltron, or the Power Rangers? Uh, Transformers and Voltron, not the Power Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Clarkson, Hammond, or May? 
Uh, not May. I enjoyed his standalone show, Our Man in Japan. Did you see the Lego one where he built the big house? Yes, I saw that as well. I think I have the most fun watching the train wreck that is Hammond. He just, his personality is much more entertaining at times. Clarkson is just the, the brash, I'm going to yell at everyone personality, but, but Hammond, uh, Hammond's personality fluctuates a bit more and is a, a little more playful at times. <laughs> Very good. All right. So in our last part of this segment, I want to talk about your experiences with the club and with GTM. And you've taken on so many roles over the years. You know, you your member number is like in the in the low 30s, if I remember. You came on in the early part of the second year or, or tail end of the first year. I, I have to double check. You've stepped up as a writer. You've been a region chief for the DMV, which is DC, Maryland, Virginia area for a long time. I mean, party planning commission, you're a voice on Slack and on the chats and you've got your blog and now part of your blog is you're a blogger for us and i mean there's been so many things that you've been you and and your wife chrissy have been involved in that you're a major you know character a major personality in the group so i wanted you to take a moment just kind of explain the journey because you've been here a long time and, and tell the audience you know what it's like especially the newer members i guess early on it really started as a nice way to know people at the track track events are great track events with camaraderie are even better you know those those first couple of events i did before i knew anyone they're a little more lonely you spend a little more time just sitting off by yourself waiting between sessions but having the club there to to all hang out in between sessions and have other people to talk to and and get other people to help you when you have an emergency breakdown or something along those lines has been has been tremendously helpful and that's and that's how it really started in the early days but then you know as time progressed we the club and even just just other members of the club, you know, more, more things have happened outside, outside of track events, outside of even things organized by the club itself, where it just becomes one, one giant extended family. So So sometimes you you hate your cousins, but you know. (laughs) So let me ask you this. Do you have a favorite event? I mean, you've been involved in so much, so many different parts of the club. Do you have a favorite? I don't know that I do. I mean, Summer Bash has historically always been a very good event. And I probably go there just because, the Animal House is just not my scene. You know, I, I like, at the end of the day, I like to be able to retire in silence to a, a hotel room. So yeah, I'd probably have to go with Summer Bash. And you've been on some of the Cannonball Runs as well. I mean, those are pretty epic journeys. Oh, Barbara was a little warm. <laughs> especially, with, especially changing broken ax- axles on hot, hot asphalt. I think the asphalt was probably 150 degrees and oof, that was brutal. So let me ask you this. If you were king for a day, what, what, what might you do differently? What would you like to see? Oh, uh, I don't know. Someone give me a break and take over. <laughs> <laughs> I've been region chief a little too long. <laughs> That's true. You're the incumbent there. But, you know, this year we picked up Tom as a new region yep. chief replacing John. And, and Tom's bringing in some new some new ideas there. He took over also being part of the VRL committee. He actually injected some new enthusiasm into that because we had almost let it go. I know you were part of that in the early days of, of getting that off the ground as well. And that's been really good for us. But, uh, yeah, I, I understand where you're going. So if you hear that, guys... At the end of the year, when we open things back up, Mike is Mike is looking for somebody to take his place. So if you're interested, reach out. So I have to say, it, it's a pleasure being your friend. You've always been there for me. You've been there for Brad and everybody else. And I can't thank you enough for everything you've done for the club after all these years. And we're really excited for, you know, your new baby and everything. So we're starting that new generation of GTMers there, you know, my daughters and, and your kids and stuff like that. And it's going to be really cool to see where this goes in the future. So a lot more long-term planning well beyond, you know, 2023, which is as far out as we're thinking these days. But again, I can't thank you enough for what you guys do. And uh, I look forward to seeing you all very, very soon. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully all this stuff settles down before too long. 
All right, Mike, thank you so much. We'll talk again soon. Thank you. Talk to you later. If you like what you heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out at www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey listeners, Crew Chief Eric here. Do you like what you've seen, heard, and read from GTM? Great, so do we, and we have a lot of fun doing it. But please remember, we're fueled by volunteers and remain a no annual fee organization, but we still need help to keep the momentum going so that we can continue to record, write, edit, and broadcast all of your favorite content. So be sure to visit www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports or visit our website and click in the top right corner on the support and donate to learn how you can help.